This week on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we come to the realization. I'm not going to win the fight, clearly, okay? He's a war hero. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I know, so why are you even trying I, to fight? I don't know. Chat. I hope I have your attention, you maggoty lima beans, because for the next hour, your heart may belong to your spouse, your body may belong to yourself, but your ears belong to me and the Rotten or Righteous podcast. He may never march in the infantry or ride in the cavalry or shoot the artillery, but he's still in the Lord's army. He's Luke Taylor. <laughs> Luke. Hi, actually, I'm Joseph Smith, and I feel like Joseph Smith would be a conscientious objector. And he may never fly over the enemy, but he's still in the Lord's <laughs> army, Scott Judge. And me, well, I hope you kissed your family goodbye, because for the next hour until the end of this episode, I'm your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your papa, your creepy uncle, and your third cousin, Ruts Removed. I'm Zach Garla. Chit-chat! March <laughs> You got one thing right. You are the creepy uncle. I'm done talking like that. I can't talk the rest of the episode now. My my <laughs> voice box is officially shredded. That was it. That's all I could do today. <laughs> For Rotten or Righteous, he's Joseph Smith. I didn't have really anything extra to talk about until I ran home really quick to grab something I forgot. And uh, I saw these two elderly people mowing the grass together. Mm-hmm. On identical lawnmowers. How cute. Aw, that's sweet. But they were identical make and model riding lawnmowers. They were both like red Troy built. One of them was apparently cutting the grass, and the other one was coming up behind them with the with the bags on the back. Sucking up the clippings. Hey, it's good to have relationship goals. That's that's the problem with America today. There's not enough relationship goals. And you know what's funny is when I saw that 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 hymn. If that isn't love, popped into my head. Yeah. All right. Today we watched the Mel Gibson-directed Hacksaw Ridge. So between The Passion of the Christ and Hacksaw Ridge, I think it is fair to say that Mel Gibson is the greatest faith-based movie director of all time. That's fair to say. I mean, no one can beat The Passion. Dallas Jenkins is going to try, but he's not going to. Not unless he switches to Aramaic, he's not. Let's talk about the greatest faith-based director of all time, Mel Gibson. Yes, he uh, hates the Jews. Um, he does a lot of Jew saving, though, in his movies. There's saving yep. Jews in this movie. There's saving Jews in The Passion. He's always saving the Jews. Maybe he does this as his repentance. Maybe I watched a different movie than you, but I don't remember a lot of Jews saving in this particular film. It's World War II. They're saving the Jews from the Japs and Hitler. Okay, they weren't saving... <sighs> That's that... He's got you there! No, he doesn't. The Jews were not, were not incarcerating... First, how many Jews did you think were in Japan? At least one. No. Probably. Yeah, Just you're one. right. Ping Goldberg. Maybe, Maybe not. <laughs> 
<sighs> How are you going to disconnect this from saving the Jews? That's why we got into the. That's again is why we got into the war. False. We got into the war because Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Yeah, well, they had to pay, and they were teamed up with Hitler, so we whipped Hitler too at the same time and saved the Jews. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope that you never write a history book because it'll be so. I will be. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in here. Wait, are you just going to tell me I'm wrong and then not present a counter argument? Is that what you just did? Now you're trying to move on to the next subject? History. Mel Gibson saves the Jews. I mean, in the, in the Patriot, they're saving the Jews, too. Okay, yeah. Go ahead and explain that one to me. Well, see, they're establishing the new promised land. If you're Mormon, like I am, Joseph Smith, uh, you'll know that Jesus came over to America. And so, I mean, really, that story is just about how the promised land was founded by colonists and stuff. And... Uh, you know, the new promised land was able to be founded in uh, Utah. And All so right. Mel Gibson was just fighting for. We've been recording for nine minutes and 25 seconds now. And I think we got maybe two minutes of usable audio because, you know, as well as I do, that I'm going to have to cut out pretty much all of that. Why? Because it's first of all, it's blatantly false, Joseph. Um, I, I think we've made fun of that enough for people to know that the Native Americans weren't Jews. That built giant green as or blue Aztec pyramids. Uh, <laughs> I think that's historical still. Okay. Let's go ahead and dive into the summary. <laughs> Hugo Weaving is having a bad day. He apparently lost his job as Elrond, high elf of Rivendale. He's no longer Agent Smith in the Matrix. He was beaten by Captain America when he was Red Skull. And we all let V from V for Vendetta down when we forgot to remember, remember the 5th of November. But with all that behind him, Hugo has decided to be a drunken father in the 1930s rural America named Tom Doss. One day, when Tom comes home from... A long day of drinking at his friend's grave, he finds his two sons beating the snot out of each other in the front yard. His wife Bertha asks him to break up the fight. The always economical Doss informs his missus that he will let them fight it out. That way, he only has to whip the one who wins. What would be worse, being shot in the face or hitting hitting the head with a brick? I don't know. Why do you? Why don't you let me say that before you make that comment? <laughs> why do you? Why do you always jump three lines ahead from where I'm going, confusing uh, the audience? They're not confused. Oh, they are confused because they're like, "Where did this brick come from?" <laughs> that brick came out of nowhere. Now, if you said that line after I mentioned the brick in five seconds from now, then it would make more sense. So, which would hurt more? Neither parent is aware that there is a darkness brewing in their youngest boy, Desmond. You see, if anyone has it as bad as Tom, it's his son, Des. His father is abusive, his mother is a doormat, his brother, Hal, goes from wanting to hike in the woods to rearranging his face with his fist, and worst of all, he's being raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. So it's little wonder that Des ends the front yard scrap by picking up a brick and doing his best cane impression. After knocking the ever-living taste out of Hal's mouth with a brick, he is shocked at the idea that he may have just killed his brother. 
As the parents are attending the injured howl, Desmond finds himself staring at the framed picture of the Ten Commandments that all Seventh-day Adventists have hanging in their foyer. <laughs> it took bashing his brother's head in with a brick for the youngest Doss boy to finally read that all-important Fifth Commandment, Thou Shall Not Murder. If only he would have read it sooner, his brother would have been... If only he'd read it sooner, his brother would have been spared one gnarly headache. Luckily, Hal's injury wasn't terminal, and he basically is, is no worse for wear. Fifteen years later, an older Des is cleaning the stained glass windows at the church building. When outside, he hears a car fall off a jack and onto a young man. This causes a puncture wound, severing an artery. Hey, can I say just very quickly that, you know, when a movie starts out with a brother getting hit in the head with a brick, you're anticipating more of a serial killer movie rather than someone going the other way. I mean, Scott, that was the whole, that was the whole turning point for Des. I know. Into his life of pacifism. It changed his life. Which I'm just, what I'm saying I'm is. I'm just surprised that he never read the Ten Commandments before then. I'd never heard of him before then. I mean, it was he hanging. Was, a, it was hanging right there in his foyer the whole time. Those commandments always hit you harder after you've done them. You know, after you right. kill a man. Yeah, tell me, tell me about it. <laughs> after I, a little more, a little more impactful. So Des springs into action by running outside and taking off his belt and applying a tourniquet to the injured young man. He then rides with the boy to the hospital, where he sees Dorothy shoot. Standing in the hallway. This Auburn beauty sets Desmond's heart all aflutter, and he ends up giving blood just to talk to her for a few moments. And I I don't really see what she sees in him because in my mind, Desmond at this point in the movie is like a cross between Forrest Gump if Forrest Gump suffered a crippling brain injury and Buddy the Elf. I actually said the exact same thing to Andy when Kelsey agreed to marry you. Right. Well, I'm just saying that he's sitting there just just, like, I expected him to be like, her to be like, why are you smiling? Him going, I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. (laughs) She's definitely out of his league. And and his accent was so weird. I don't know what it was, but it was, I mean, I know, (laughs) I know Andrew Garfield is English putting on an American accent, but. I just wanted to sit here and look at you for a while. What do you need? My belt. I lent it to the boy who had the the accident. My pants don't hold up so good without it. Well, uh, I don't have your belt. No, I know that ma'am is out there. It's right out there with the boy still. (laughs) Okay. I'm just here to take blood. I'll give you mine. Okay. I'm going to look up where he was born. I'm telling you, England. Not that. Because What was his first name? Doss? Desmond Doss. He was from, Desmond Doss. He was from Virginia. Doss. It was in the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was buried in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so that's probably where he got his accent. Yeah, we always pick up our accents from where we're buried. He was, di- or he was born in Lynchburg, Virginia. That's how you <laughs> Lynchburg, you know. That's why he had the accent he did. Ah, he was just doing what any warm-blooded American would do. Was, looking upon a beautiful girl. Stare at her creepily. 
Yep. <laughs> You're purdy. Would you, would you give your blood to meet your... Yeah, I would. Give I, your blood I would in, in a heartbeat. I give my blood every <laughs> chance I can just because it's the right thing to do. What? Who says? The next day, Desmond, dressed in his seventh day best, skips through the woods to try and score a date with Dorothy. Uh, every time I say Dorothy, I think of Wizard of Oz, and I can't help it because of the. Because Aunt M is like, Dorothy! Dorothy! Where are you, Dorothy? And uh, at the hospital, Desmond asks Dorothy for his blood back. Because ever since you struck me with that needle, my heart's been fluttering every time I think about you. I just think that was you, a good one. I just think yeah, you, it was great. I just think you're the prettiest. And she's like, that has nothing to do with blood loss. So that's, that's dumb. Maybe you have a heart murmur. We can uh, schedule you for an EKG here in a couple decades when we invent that technology but uh hey that was the line right there that won her heart yeah it truly was Mm -hmm. and then like every every person who's ever met their spouse does on a first date they sit in a movie as desmond just stares at her without blinking has his thousand yard stare just trained right on dorothy's head hey he's he's more innocent days Uh, why are you looking at me? I just think you're the prettiest darn thing I've ever did see. After the movie is over, Desmond steals a kiss from Dorothy and gets a slap across his face because he didn't ask. First time you kissed Kelsey, did you ask or did you just move in for the smooch? I don't even remember. I don't know. What about you, Luke? I did not. I'm pretty sure I was attacked. Yeah, it's true. It's the second Luke Really, let, Luke? No, I promise you, it's true. Megan had was on the hunt for Mr. Taylor for years. And so the second he let his guard down, I'm sure she was on him like a schnauzer on a snossage. Schnossage? Schnossage? <laughs> yeah, like the schnossages. Um, They're dog treats called snossages. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dorothy slaps across his face because he didn't ask. You see... Dorothy's not a prude. She'll kiss on the first date. You just gotta ask. She's ask. It's important to ask, you know, consent and stuff. Yeah, I heard that that's kind of a big deal now. Hmm. So did you slap Megan, Luke? (laughs) (laughs) No, I liked it. Backhanded her right in the teeth. What are you doing? I should (laughs) should (laughs) have. No, I didn't. But uh, Dorothy isn't too mad. She's she's charmed by this forward but simple-minded farm boy. At a family dinner, Hal comes in dressed in army tan. He's enlisted to fight the Krauts in WW2. The Krauts. I think you're allowed to say Kraut. I don't think you're allowed to say Jap. For some reason, we I think after dropping the nuke, we said, yeah, we're not going to say that anymore. But Germany... I still think they owe us stuff. So I'm going to say Kraut. Well, you know, it's like they're they're white Anglo-Saxons. So, like, you can say cracker and nobody cares. Right. And Krauts, you know. Yeah. It's only a fear. And not it's only that, but I, than the white man. I'm pretty sure I'm at least 25% German. Oh, so you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Krauts. I mean, that's a good fair portion to be German, Scott. I have never heard of that term 
referred to as a German until right now. Well, Scott, you'd have to read a lot of history books and, uh, well, most history books don't have many pictures that I've come across. So what, really what the Germans, most history books that I've come across have a lot of pictures. <laughs> I must be looking at the wrong ones. <laughs> I've, I've never the seen Krauts. Yeah, it's what they used to call them back in World War II, the Krauts. Yeah. At a family dinner, Hauk <laughs> comes in dressed in army tan. He had enlisted to fight the Krauts in World War II, but his parents are shocked that their, their son didn't tell them he was doing this. And his dad looks at him and has this weird lip quiver going on that makes him look kind of like a fish. And then uh, he's like, what? Looks like a movie star. Our boy. Nice uniform. Good hat. Reminds me of how Artie Gittins looked in his uniform when we went to France. Remember him, Bertha? Don't talk. What? I'm just saying how snappy Artie looked in his uniform. All you girls certainly seem to think so. He had them flocking to him. He was most proud. I just hope that when our Hal gets shot, it's through the front of his jacket. Like a simple entry wound, not much mess. Artie got hit in the back. It blew most of his guts and intestines out his front. Awful everywhere. Wrecked his uniform entirely. It was lucky he was dead, so he never knew how awful his uniform looked. Get out of my sight. Okay, Dad. <laughs> and then Desmond's like, mm, I'm hungry. Pass the rolls, please. Pass the kraut. <laughs> no, that was outlawed in 1940s. You couldn't have sauerkraut. Desmond takes Dorothy rock climbing on a second date. And the two share a kiss on the top of a mountain. And this time, Dorothy didn't slap him. Later on, the two were smitten when Desmond tells Dorothy that he's going to enlist. But he's going to be a medic. That way, he doesn't have to kill no one. And Dorothy's upset about this news, but insists that Des asks her to marry him. Because women are complicated beings. Which he does. And she says yes. And they plan on getting married on his first leave. As, as Desmond boards the bus to boot camp, Dorothy hands him her Bible. Inside of God's Word is a photo of Des's fiance with a note on the back that says, Come home to me, Desmond Doss. I love you. When Desmond arrives at the barracks, he meets his, his new bunkmates. And they're just doing, you know, regular army stuff like reading girly magazines and lassoing each other with ropes and playing cards and throwing knives at each other's feet, uh, the latter of which results in uh, a private having a knife thrown into his foot as they're called to attention. Sergeant Vince Vaughn comes in and introduces himself to the new recruits and gives them all funny nicknames. Uh, he calls a guy who's just ugly, Mr. Private Ghoul. Uh, to a kid with a knife in his foot, he rightly calls private idiot. To the guy who <laughs> threw the knife, who is uh, full-blooded Polish but looks slightly Native American, he calls chief. Desmond reminds Sarge of an ear of corn. 
So that's what he calls him because he's skinny. And he wants to take his ear off. And uh, there was a guy just who was exer- exercising naked for some reason when they were called to attention. And he's not allowed to put on any clothes before they go for a run. <laughs> so we just get a look at his naked butt several times throughout the next few minutes. Why didn't he have any clothes on? I somehow missed this. Because he liked exercising naked. No. Okay, that would explain the, the feedback I'm getting. I do have them on. I thought you were going to yell something inappropriate and Megan was going to hear. And that's why you were asking. No, I was just hearing myself, but now I don't hear myself. Well, yes. Okay. I do indeed have on my headphones. Thank you. Then uh, boot camp is in full swing. They're tying knots. They're they're climbing ladders and ropes and doing some monkey bars. And this whole time, that guy is still naked. You know, when you get a bunch of young men around, I think in the military or a preaching school, football team, someone's going to get naked. I mean, someone's just going to end up in some kind of just psychotic break, naked, just doing doing their work. I never took it all off. I just went down to my skivvies. <laughs> Why would you do that? I had a psychotic break the first year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a legitimate psychotic break. <laughs> he was sitting in a first-year classroom in his underwear with his guitar. <laughs> I, I don't remember doing that, but I did. It was a it was a sight to behold. Yeah, so they're having a little relay race, and Desmond's doing real good until a, a guy named named Smitty just kicks Des right in his stupid smiling face. But Des still was able to come out first, and soon enough, it's rifle day at boot camp, and Private Doss refuses to pick up a gun, seeing as he's a conscientious cooperator, as he says. Not objector, cooperator. He he explains that he is willing to salute the flag, you know, do all the army stuff, all except for kill or work on Saturdays. That was my favorite when he said that. My favorite thing about this is is this is what I don't get. I get him coming and and whatever and, and wanting to fight, but, you know, I don't. I don't sign up to be a truck driver, but expect not to haul trailers around. You know, I'm not going to go join a a football team, but don't expect to have to wear pads and a helmet. Well, he said that someone confirmed to him that he was going to be able to do this. I understand. Probably his recruiter, because they'll tell you anything. Yeah, Yeah, tell me about it. There's still an Air Force recruiter in Ohio somewhere that has my high school diploma. (laughs) (laughs) What? Your actual diploma? Yeah, I don't have my diploma because the recruiter needed it for some reason, and I gave it to him, and then like I just was like, I don't want to do this. I What? Why didn't you get it back? Because I, I was afraid that if I went back, I'd be forced to go into the Air Force. He talked you. I mean, he talked me into the door, talked me into handing him my high school diploma. I didn't want to go back and give him another chance to talk me into something I didn't want to do. I'm yeah, telling you, the military gosh. would have been great for you too. By the way, can you can you imagine what? Who would we be if we entered the military? We'd probably end up in the same bloody boot camp and the same bloody company, uh, just because you know that's the way God seems to work it. And we'd probably end up over in uh, like Afghanistan together. We'd be different men, Zach. Probably, I probably wouldn't be so fat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we would have been like bonded with blood. We'd come home PTSD, probably share bunk beds and wake up in the middle of the night screaming, comforting yeah, each great. other, just be like, Shh, Luke, we're not over there anymore. 
be like preaching school all over. <laughs> uh, but the uh, officer in charge of the camp, Captain Glover, is just floored when he hears that Doss joined the army without expecting to, you know, do mainly what the army is known for, and that's shooting and killing. And he warns Doss that as long as he's in this camp, he will follow orders. And then he says, now I want you out of here, so I'm going to file a Section 8, say you're insane, to get you out of the army. And somewhere in the background, you can see a hairy Armenian wearing a dress named Corporal Klinger shout, Ah, oh, come on! Then Sergeant Vince Vaughn informs Dez's platoon of the results of the meeting. He says, Gentlemen, I want you to meet Private Desmond Doss. Apparently, Private Doss does not believe in violence. He does not practice violence. He will not even deign to touch a weapon. You see, Private Doss is a conscientious objector. So I plead with you, do not look to him to save you on the battlefield, because he will undoubtedly be too busy wrestling with his conscience to assist. Sarge, that's not Private, true, Sarge. As you were. Now I realize some of you might have strong feelings about this. It is what we men fight for, to defend our rights, and to protect our women and children. Even if Private Doss's beliefs might cause women and children to die. So I will expect everyone in this company to give Private Doss the full measure of respect he is due for the short time he will be with us. Am I clear? Yes, Sergeant! I don't... Sure, yes, sir! Okay, thank you. Scott, you were never in the military, so why do you have a haircut like you were? I don't know. I've always wore my hair like that. What, you ever thought of doing something different? Like, mm, no. Something that's very convenient. Something that didn't make you look like Hank Hill. Hank Hill. He's my hero. Oh, no. oh Bobby. That's you. <laughs> I've worn it this way since I had my last perm in 1987. Right. That night, Smitty takes Desmond's Bible. Calls Des a coward, punches him in the face, mocks his faith, and throws Dorothy's picture on the floor. He's trying to goad Desmond into reacting with violence, but Desmond doesn't take the bait. At a psychiatric evaluation, Zach was really, 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 really disappointed that they didn't get the actor that played the psychiatrist in MASH to come and do a cameo for this. Uh, wouldn't that have been great? But as a psychiatric evaluation does prove he's not insane and therefore cannot be discharged with a Section 8. Captain Glover is disappointed, but he doesn't lose hope. He tells Sergeant Vince Vaughn to make Doss's life a living heck until Desmond requests a transfer. Over the next few days, Desmond is forced to scrub toilets. His bunk is tossed. False accusations are leveled against him, for which his whole company is punished for. His bunkmates beat him half to death in the middle of the night. However, beaten and bloody, Desmond doesn't quit. The morning following his beating, not only does Doss refuse to quit, but he also refuses to name those who beat him. Nothing like a good old-fashioned assault to make people come together. And after that day, Doss and his company and his sergeant, well, their relationship changed, and they develop a, a tentative respect for one another. Soon enough, boot camp is over, and Doss is about to get his first leave, and he's looking forward to getting home and marrying Miss Dorothy. Unfortunately, before his leave papers are signed, 
A man by the name of Colonel Cunningham comes in and says Doss is not allowed to leave unless he becomes qualified at the rifle range. Desmond refuses a direct order to pick up a rifle and is court-martialed. And in a jail cell, Desmond misses his wedding day, and he punches a wall a whole bunch of times. He's real sad. Well, he showed that wall, didn't he? Why would you do that? I mean, the wall didn't do nothing. I know. The following day, after the brutal assault on the wall slash door, Captain Glover visits Doss in his cell, and once again tries to convince him to leave the army. He says, just plead guilty to disobeying an order, and we'll give you an honorable discharge. Then you can go home and pray and do all your other weird Seventh-day Adventist stuff. But Doss refuses, and so the colonel sends in someone who might be able to convince him. It's Dorothy! <laughs> all the way from Oz via Kansas. The two embrace, and Dorothy tells him to stop being so prideful. Thank you. Somebody said it. Nah. Really? Nah. Nah, you, it's not pride. You didn't think pride played into this at all? No. Why do you it's think pride plays man into this? holding forth to his convictions? Okay, I understand that. But if you are convicted that touching a gun and, and killing in war is wrong, why would you join the army? Because he's going to go be a medic. Right, because he... No, he no, he says himself because everybody else was, was joining the army. Pride. And he could go be a medic. Yeah. Even medics carried guns back then. And they make a really good point. How many times in this movie, yes, he saved people's lives afterwards, but how many times the initial fighting and people have to save his life because of his convictions? I don't think anyone's necessarily arguing that his convictions are right. They're just that no, I, he believes them genuinely. No, and I'm not, and I'm not trying him. to take that away from him. But you, if, if my conviction is that drinking is wrong, I'm not going to join a, a beer pong you know, I'm not going to join a beer pong team and just sip Evian. Yeah, but he says in the movie that someone, and I don't think we're told or, you know, someone told him that he was going to be able to join and not uh, carry a weapon. Whoever that was, we don't know. Okay, but somebody I, told him some, that. So those are, that's, someone told me before I bought my first car that it wasn't going to be a terrible experience. People lie to make the people do things. You don't, I, I, I appreciate his service. I do not agree that he should have been there. Okay. Look at how many lives would have been lost. Yeah, but they'd be gun-toting American lives. He's Zach taking down a war hero. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you can see, dear listeners, that Zach would have been fighting for the Japs. The... I, I am, thoughts and I am, expressions noted in this segment are not necessarily the feelings of all three members of the podcast team. But it is the sex. But it is sex a Nazi. <laughs> I don't know how me saying that I agree with the colonel and saying that he doesn't have any business being in the army makes me a Japanese Nazi. sympathizer Nazi. He opposes the saving of American lives That's by not... American medics. That's what I heard. He would have just rather them died. And Doss could stay home and be a Seventh Adventist. Hey, I need someone to um to walk my dog. Could you do that? As long as I don't need to hold a leash, I'm fine. Hey, like, I need someone to someone drive my car. You... Would, would you be my driver for the day? Nah, as long as I don't have if... to touch keys. 
if someone tells you that you can take a job and that you're, you know, there's certain things that go along with this job and you're like, oh, okay. And you're told that the thing that you object to, you don't have to do. And then you accept the job, then you have every right when they turn around and say, psych, just kidding, uh, to object to the fact that they lied to you. Yeah, but common sense has to play into it a little bit. When you think of army, do you think of medics or do you think of guns? There are plenty of people in the army who no, don't there's not guns. There's not plenty of yes, people in the army are. because I keep seeing commercials <laughs> saying, "Hey, we would like you to be in the army." <laughs> and I call them up and I said, "Hey, I'd like to be in the army." I said, "Not you, fatty. Not you." Don't <laughs> they say you don't watch our commercials anymore? We want everyone in the army but you. <laughs> hey, I think you're still eligible until you're like 35. And then they, they sent me a poster yeah, of Uncle Sam with his arms crossed and looking real mad saying, Uncle Sam doesn't want you for his army. <laughs> like, that's mean. It's mean. It hurts. So the two embrace and Dorothy tells him to stop being so prideful. Say what he needs to say and come home and do what he can for the war effort there. Don't marry her. No, I'm, get you I'm sorry, but if step away from your convictions, if Dorothy came up to me and it's like, hey, I would like you to come home. Oh, OK. Hey, Dorothy, I'm there. I'll be there in a minute. Bye. <laughs> hey, I'm guilty. Guilty. Let me like go, Kern. please. I'm guilty. <laughs> Desmond says, I'm proudful. Maybe I'm proudful. I don't know how I'm going to live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. Much less how you could live with me. I'd never be the man that I want to be in your eyes. You know what kind of man she could be proud of? One that's alive. After the, <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible... After the meeting, Dorothy calls Desmond's parents and tells them that Desmond won't plead guilty. And his dad is like, I will call the Fellowship of the Ring. And then his mom's like... <laughs> You're in the wrong movie, sweetie. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be drunk. Sorry. But it does seem that uh, at his trial, if Des doesn't plead guilty, he will either be dishonorably discharged or sent to Levensworth for a prison term. But Papa Doss ain't about ready to let that happen because he straps on his old World War I dress uniform and heads down to the local army office and demands to see an old war buddy of his. Now, keep in mind they're in Virginia, so it's real close to Washington, D.C. It took me a minute to figure that out uh, when I was watching the movie. I was trying to figure out how he got to where he was going so fast. It all takes place in and around Virginia. And while this is happening, while he's talking to his old war buddy, uh, Desmond is being brought uh, to his court-martial, and he pleads not guilty to disobeying a direct order. When he is asked, why is it so important to you, given your refusal to even touch a gun, to serve in a combat unit. Desmond responds, Because when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, I took it personal. Everyone I knew was on fire to join up, including me. There were two men in my hometown. Declared 4F unfit. They killed themselves because they couldn't serve. I had a job in a defense plan. I could have taken a deferment, but that ain't right. It isn't right that other men should fight and die. That I would just be sitting at home safe. I need to serve. I got the energy and the passion to serve as a medic. Right in the middle with the other guys. No less danger, just... 
while everybody else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. Then Tom, what a humble statement. What a prideful statement. Then Tom, what an honorable and unprideful thing to say. I'm not going to win the fight, clearly, okay? He's a war hero. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I know. So why are you even trying I, to fight? I don't know. Tom. He's a Japanese sympathizer. Nazi. I think we're all kind of Japanese sympathizers when we realize just how much problems that whole nuclear bomb thing caused for him. I think the second we dropped it, everyone was like, oh. <laughs> we, we probably shouldn't have done that. I, I was going to try to argue with you, but then I was like, mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, so, I, yeah we, I think that's why we, we still have a problem deep in our hearts against Germany. But to Japan, we're just like, yeah, we're just going to push that whole Pearl Harbor thing under the rug <laughs> if you don't bring up Iwo Jima. <laughs> I feel like that's why, like, after the war, like, we were super friendly. Yeah, we were like, <laughs> like, hey there, guys. Uh, how you, oh, you got a third hand growing. I see that. That's nice. How you guys doing? <laughs> it's a good, good look for y'all. Oh, we're real sorry about what happened, man. Who could have thought that, that radiation do this? <laughs> hey, we really like that raw fish sushi stuff. <laughs> So yeah, we're just gonna call it a draw. <laughs> you take out the USS Arizona, we take out an entire generation of healthy Japanese people. It's a draw. Just call it even. <laughs> hey, that's a weird call, like for a president. Like nuke that whole town. Like <laughs> even, you know, I get it, like it was sending a message like surrender or else. And it did end World War II. I'm not saying that it didn't or that it wasn't called for, but and, and I truly don't think we understood what was gonna happen. Well, we dropped two of them. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> we didn't th- But they were like days they were like days apart. Yeah, but think about it. Uh, think about it this way. We knew that radiation was bad and we knew that it was gonna make a big boom. I don't think we understood nuclear fallout. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Well, we certainly have some long-term data at this point in time to help us better understand it. It's probably why no one's dropped a nuke in a long time. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> uh, look at this. Isn't that interesting? I, I think that that's one reason why I'm not worried about nuclear war. Is because everybody understands. I mean, Russia is not dumb enough to launch a nuke in America because he knows that America doesn't take that kind of stuff lying down. That we'll we'll launch a couple back at them, and then they'll have to launch a few more at us, and then the whole world dies. Yeah, it didn't really turn out, does it? I mean, there's never been like a good, you know. Ever since it stopped World War II, we're like, yeah, that's great, but let's never do that again. Wow. You know, the killed killed between 129,000 and 226,000. The way I like to think of the nuclear bombs is kind of like driving on a really icy road. You know, like maybe you're stuck in like like frozen rain and the roads get real bad real fast, and then maybe you lose control, but somehow your body reacts in a way that 
maneuvers the car around so you don't get into a massive accident or maybe you slide between two trees instead of hitting one and you go whatever i did worked but i also never want to do that again (laughs) yep all right so tom doss arrives at the court martial with a letter as the trial is still in deliberation, and he forces his way into the courtroom and hands the judge the letter. It turns out that Tom's old army buddy just so happens to be the Brigadier General of War Services uh, in Washington, D.C. It's a good buddy to have. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, the, the Brigadier General clears Des for service, and the judge says probably my favorite line in the whole movie. Private Doss, you are free to run into the hellfire of battle without a single weapon to protect yourself. You may resume your duties and begin training as a combat medic. And that night, Desmond yep. and Dorothy are married. Bow chicka wow wow. In May of 1945, Desmond, now a full fledged medic in his platoon, find themselves in Okinawa. They're greeted by truckloads of dead and injured soldiers returning from battle. Then they're given their mission, which seems easy enough on paper, take Hacksaw Ridge. If they do that, then they'll be able to take Okinawa, and if they take Okinawa, then they'll be able to take Japan. What isn't said is that Hacksaw Ridge is only accessible via a cargo net that is draped over a sheer rock face of more than 100 feet up. You know what's interesting? Why wouldn't the defense plan for that be just to put your men at the top of the ridge and just shoot down? That's the same thing about Normandy. I want to know why Truman just is didn't it, drop the bombs then. And in Normandy. Just, just every time, everywhere there's five, we should have dropped 50. Desmond and his platoon are told by a few of the survivors of the previous assault on the ridge. They are told that the Japanese are merciless fighters, that they don't fear death, and they also like to target injured and medics. Doss is told to remove his Red Cross insignias as they're basically big white, uh, uh, bullseyes. When they arrive at the cliff, the Navy bombards the ridge to soften things up a little bit, and then Dawson and his men begin the climb. When they reach the top, they see that the ground is littered with the disembodied limbs of fallen soldiers. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the goriest war movie I've ever seen in my life. It was for me, too. And and it looked so real, so accurate. I mean, it's what you would picture with bombs and guts flying all over the place, limbs going each and every way. Each and every way. It's just each and every way. It was it was incredible. They went up way. What they did. Down way. On top of that hill. Left way. Right and way. Hen way. Some went forward hen way. way. Yep. Other went backwards way. You did you see the makeup that- person on this? This. Uh, oh, wow. Set. Now, keep in mind, Mel Gibson directed this. I'm 90% sure that he just took all the body parts from Braveheart and just threw them up on top of a hill. That's Might be the simplest thing. Some used body parts laying around. It's probably got like a warehouse of like dummies that look like they just... Yeah, so it's real, real grisly up there, and then soon enough, bullets begin to fly, and many of Doss's platoon has just mercilessly shot down, and again, some of the most violent and realistic depictions of war I have ever seen. Through the smoke and the fog of battle, the enemy are nearly invisible. But that doesn't stop Smitty from picking up the torso of a long-dead soldier and using it as a shield as he just charges forward and mows down Japanese. I don't think that happened. 
I wondered about that. <laughs> I feel like I would have heard about that if if an American soldier was just picking up dead guys' torsos and using them as shields. I think I I think that might be frowned upon. I, I haven't read the Geneva Convention for a while. I feel like if you're in the middle of battle being shot at, you use whatever you got. Right. Still, you know how much a human torso weighs? Well, it didn't have any legs, did it? Yeah, because the legs are the heaviest part, I've heard. <laughs> So even without the legs, it probably weighed, let's say you had a man that was 180, it probably weighed, what, 140? No, I mean, his arms were gone too. Okay, 120? Let's know, if you get rid of someone's arms and legs, that's like half of their mass. How much of your body weight is in your limbs? I'll tell you right now, with my legs and arms, I weigh 97 pounds. The natural leg is approximately one sixth of your body weight. Okay. An average arm. So we got two thirds, of- or, or no, we have a third of the body weight cut off at the legs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And what's the arm? Uh, if you're like 150 pounds, you're it's eight pounds. Okay, let's so pretend like-, like we've got an actual person here, not not a supermodel. What do you weigh, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> like 200. Okay, me too. I- <laughs> 200. Yeah. Scott. I, I got 200. I got 200 pounds of me too. We all weigh 200. <laughs> so one third of that would be, uh, so you're down to like 125. And then how much do your arms weigh? Um, man, this is like super detailed. <laughs> uh, head and neck trunk. Yeah. We, that, we just want the size. trunk, the trunk and the head. That's what he had. Uh, your arms are 6%. Why would they go from fractions to percents? I had to go to a different site to find the arms. Okay, so 12% okay. of your body is uh, is your arms. This is probably more more helpful. The whole trunk of a person is approximately 55% of their body weight. Without okay. the head. The, the head adds 8%, which I don't know if that yeah. guy had a head. No, he did have a head. I remember that. So, so for like 200-pound man, he's looking at like 125 pounds. Okay. Yeah, but you, you'd also have to think that uh, there was no water or blood in it. I don't have to think that because when they shot him, there were some juicy bullet holes. And now that was like a that was like a uh, like an old decay. Like, why would you pick up a shriveled, emptied, mummified corpse and use that to protect you against bullets? That wouldn't have done anything. Well, he had to have considering a- every bullet went through the person that it shot in this movie. It wasn't really the greatest strategy in the world anyway, but it was what. Yeah, had. every bullet except for the bullets that were shot into the body shield. Went through, went through people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the other that's thing a, I thought of. How's that fact. not moaning down? It's a fact. Hey, Luke, can, Luke, can you do me a favor? Uh, could you now Google large freezers? <laughs> no, no, I cannot. Can't, please? Yeah, so Smitty's using human shields and mowing down Japanese, and more death and destruction is seen, flamethrowers, grenades, and bullets in the lives on both sides of the war. Doss springs into action when he sees one of his bunkmates' legs shredded by Japanese RPG. Despite one of the other medics telling him to, to leave the wounded man, Desmond carries him to the cliff edge and orders the soldiers to take him down to safety. And they that guy's legs did turn into like... Mm-hmm. Like if he took a Slim Jim and, and I don't know... Yeah. And like forked it open. Yeah, for some reason. That's what it looked like. Rest in peace, macho man. Um, <laughs> you are the cream of the crop. 
and the intense visuals do not let up for like a half an hour. We're just seeing this. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. People are getting shot and blown up and slaughtered. Ghoul is sent with a satchel charge to blow up a Japanese bunker, but a mortar explosion knocks him just shy of the goal, and one brave soldier picks up the fallen satchel and throws it in, blowing up the Japanese fortification, and at that, the, ja- or the Americans take charge. Fighting becomes up close and personal. Flamethrowers burn Japanese to a crisp, and the Japanese use knives to stab GIs to death, all while Dez is tending to the wounded, without a weapon, saving countless lives. The fighting stops as the GIs secure a foothold on the ridge and the Americans bunker down for the night. But Des returns to the field to help the remaining wounded, and Smitty volunteers to go with them. The two find themselves in a foxhole together, bonding, a far cry from how they were at boot camp. Smitty takes first watch, and Desmond has a dream that a Japanese soldier runs up on him and just runs through him with a bayonet, and he wakes up panting. And Smitty's like, hey, you want to know a secret that'll help you stop having dreams like that? There's guns. They're there, bud. Just pick. They're there. Just pick one up, and then it's stupid me. I didn't realize that. that I mean, I thought that was like the real action going on when he looked. I didn't realize it was a dream. So, so you didn't. I was you like didn't, mortified. You didn't stop and realize. Oh, there's still an hour left of this movie. Maybe the main character isn't going to die. <sighs> no, I thought maybe he would just be wounded. Right, and so He'd the bayoneted, so, not so the rest of the movie would just be him bleeding out in the crater. Yes, yeah, with with a, with a like a tourniquet. Man, how do you tie? How do you tie? A, uh, hold on a second, Scott. I want you to follow through this thought. How, how do you tie a tourniquet around your stomach? Very carefully. <laughs> what I learned from this movie is that tourniquets save they Lots, work for everything. Right? Yeah. Tourniquets tourniquet the world around. I want to put one on my wife when she gets home. See if it doesn't straighten her up a little bit. Wow. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> Desmond declined Smitty's most recent offer for a gun, explaining that his father was a drunk, and one night his dad hit his mom and had a pistol in his hand, and he wrestled the gun from his father and pointed it at his head. He didn't pull the trigger, but in his heart he did, and that day he made a promise to God that he would never touch a gun again. So, here's my question. You make that promise, what happens if the next day... Your dad gets drunk and then picks up a gun again. Yeah. Now you can't take the right. gun because you've made a vow to God. And not only that, but Desmond breaks this vow later on in the movie. Yep. He straight up touches a gun. Yep, but not how we think. See, why don't we wait for that to come, Zach? He touches it with yeah. I, hear, I hear it's a bad thing to bring stuff up in later scenes. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> touched lots. Lots of guns crawling all over the ground. No, he didn't. He played like Twister the whole movie. Oh yeah! Step on a gun, break your mama's bun. <laughs> your rhymes are not very good today. The next morning, thousands of Japanese troops come pouring out of tunnels and wash over the Americans. The GIs are forced to fall back as an artillery strike is called in on the tunnel the Japanese are using to get to the ridge. During the retreat, Sergeant Vince Vaughn's legs are riddled with bullets, and he pulls a body of one of his dead men to camouflage him from the ever-coming enemy. Desmond continues to tend to the wounded in the confusion, doing his best to help as many as he can. During the fight, Smitty takes several rounds to the chest. Desmond makes it to his side and gives him some morphine, but Smitty starts to fade, but Desmond isn't willing to give up his new best friend, so he throws him over his shoulders and carries him to the cliff's edge, but when he gets there, it's too late. Smitty is dead before he arrives. As the men 
climb down the cargo net to safety. Desmond is left cradling Smitty's body as he asks God what he was meant to do. Then, from the field, he hears a cry for help. Desmond runs back into the field to save who he can. Down below, the, the sergeant is told that of the hundreds of guys that went up Hacksaw Ridge, only 32 came down. Up on the ridge, Desmond lowers a wounded man down the cliff via a rope. Men who are standing on the ground are in awe when they see the wounded man being lowered, and they rush to help him and get him loaded onto a jeep. Before they can get him back to base, sure enough, another wounded soldier comes down the cliff. Up on the ridge, Des is helping another wounded when wind blows the smoke and his cover from the battlefield. He watches in horror as the Japanese advance through the carnage, killing any American left alive. Thinking quickly, Doss buries one man in the ash and debris of the battlefield to hide him as Doss himself hides under a body. Back at the army base, Captain Glover is asking for more men to save those who didn't come off Hacksaw. He is told that it will be at least a day before reinforcements can arrive. Meanwhile, Desmond is dodging Japanese soldiers and crawling through rat-infested Japanese tunnels trying to save who he can. Down in the tunnels, he comes across a wounded Japanese soldier and gives him the same care that he would to an American. Desmond waits until he can be under the cover of night and he returns to the ridge and keeps sending wounded over the edge. Exhausted but determined, he begins to pray to God. Please, Lord, help me get one more. As he continues to send men over the cliff. The next morning, Des finds Sergeant Vince Vaughn and his bullet-riddled legs. But before he can pull them out, they are pinned down by a sniper, and the Japanese are alerted to their location. Doss grabs a rifle and wraps it around a blanket and makes a makeshift sled. And the sergeant lays down on that sled, and they're just sprinting through the battlefield. And Sergeant's laying down covering fire, and it's pretty cool. And then he just pushes him straight off the ridge. He he truly does. Like he's trying, You're he's trying to slow the descent with a rope a little bit, but he's still Vince Vaughn hits the ground pretty hard. Really hard. You'd think he'd broke both his legs, to be honest. And then does Do you think he cared? Yeah, I think he cared. I think he truly liked Sergeant <laughs> Vince Vaughn by the end of it. No, I mean, do you think he cared how hard he hit the ground? Like, do you think Vince Vaughn cared? I, Probably oh, not. No, no but uh, okay, crap but on this cliff. if it was a little bit harder, I think he would have cared. Yeah, it had killed him. <laughs> <laughs> if you aren't in shock yet. And then sure enough. It's almost like, oops, and, I forgot the rope. And then sure enough, <laughs> Desmond just goes bungee jumping without a bungee cord. A very unforgiving rope tied to the corpse mm. of Smitty. And he just riding it down, like that guy from Doctor Strangelove. Just yeehaw! <laughs> but they make it off the the cliff, and they're and he's safe. I was gonna say they're safe, but Smitty's dead. Um, he's not safe <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> Smitty went to heaven. I don't know what. I don't know if he did. He did. He did. I can't imagine that. You know. God's like, I can't be reading this right. You used a human torso as a human shield in battle in order to murder that's, countless men? Uh, yeah. That's not a sin. Yeah, I did. I mean, that's that's technically not a sin, but that's kind of messed up. I'm Smitty. What are you doing? 
That's just his excuse for everything. Smitty, did you eat the cookies? I'm Smitty. (laughs) Oh, you. Smitty, did you chop up the neighbor's cat and bury it in the shed? I'm Smitty. (laughs) That little scamp. He's Smitty. Back at base camp, Desmond's getting patched up from his night on the ridge, and then Captain Glover comes over to Doss to express just how wrong he was about the private, and then asks Doss to come with them as uh, they go assault Hacksaw one last time. And if I was Doss at this point, I'd be like, no, 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 not doing it. I'll be real honest. I'll be like, I, I I saved 75 people, dude. I did my part. I'm going to sit here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit here and read my Bible. Just got to a good part. You are a Jap, aren't you? Horrible American. Horrible. No, I'm not. They need them to inspire the men. Right. Unless you want the Japanese to win. Look at Zach. You, I, I don't care. After delaying the assault for 10 minutes, Private Doss finishes praying and the G.I.'s summit Hacksaw once again. But this time, the confidence that Doss inspires in in his men is palpable as the Americans decimate the Japanese resistance. At one point... Why do you sound so sad? At one point, the Japanese soldiers appear to be surrendering, but it's really a suicide ploy as they throw live grenades at the Americans. And Desmond just swats it away as if they're not hard balls of metal. Just swats it away like he's playing handball and then does a real awesome, like, soccer kick to get rid of another one. Bicycle. Bicycle kick. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. He bend it like Beckham. But uh, he didn't bend it fast enough because the the blowback of that grenade sends him flying. Man, it hit him so hard that it knocks the Bible out of his pocket. You ever had the Bible knocked out of you? (laughs) Okay, so Desmond kicks a grenade, real real awesome bicycle kick, and he gets the Bible blown out of him. And then the only real problem I have with this movie is, at this point, he's on a gurney. Men are taking him off the ridge, and he stops everyone and tells them to run back and risk their life for his Bible. He's not thinking straight. He's just, he's, he's in a bad state. Well, I understand that, but... At the same time, I think the word of God is precious. However, I also know that Bibles are readily available uh, pretty much everywhere. And I'm not saying that they were readily available there in Okinawa, but he was going home. I, I don't like the idea of him telling another soldier to run back to the front line to grab his Bible. I just didn't like it. I don't think if he hadn't been in shock, he probably wouldn't have done that. But you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how like, Seventh Day Adventists use their Bibles. So while uh, Doss is being carted away and getting his Bible, the Japanese general is committing seppuku for his dishonorable defeat. And uh, that, that was something else. Yeah, that happened in Guam too. Did you witness like yesterday? I uh, can't say that I did. And uh, Doss is lowered off Hacksaw Ridge on a gurney, and he's sent home. And archival footage of the real Doss is seen as we read that Desmond saved 75 men on Hacksaw Ridge, for which he was awarded the Medal of Honor by Harry S. Truman. 
He and Dorothy remained together until she passed away in 1991. Desmond Dost himself died on March 23rd, 2006 at the age of 87. I thought it was amazing how much of the story was true. You know, it's like a bicycle kick. That was definitely true. Yeah, I mean, they showed the footage. Um, it wasn't even a film. It wasn't even a film movie. That was literally just like retouched. It's actual World World War II footage. (laughs) (laughs) They had a difficult time getting it in color, but you know, through modern technology. Great movie recommendation, Luke. No, it was a it was a good movie. It is rated R for a reason. As we said, for the next few weeks, we're going to be watching war movies. Uh, The next one that we're going to watch, for some reason, we're going back uh, in time on our timeline. I don't know why we're doing this. Uh, Probably because I just had the idea as I was walking in to record tonight. We're going to watch a World War I movie, then a Revolutionary War movie. Uh, But next week, uh, we're going to be watching one of my favorite war movies. 1917, the year Scott was born. It's a good Can we year. watch like a medieval war movie after that? Right. Like, well, we have uh, to do our Halloween special and then we can get back to war movies. <laughs> what are we watching for that again? We're do The Conjuring. I'm not allowed to watch you that. You are allowed to watch that. He asked his mom and she said no. But I'm going to try to figure out a way that we can watch the movie together and make like a commentary to it. So that way we can like watch our reactions to the, the frightening images as we're <laughs> as we're watching it. So why can't we do it like what we're doing right now? I, I don't know if you can get a movie on Facebook. Ah. If we can, then we will. But I also right. don't want the sound of the conjuring in the background the whole time. Just yeah. because there is like I said, there's very minor language, but I don't want that. All right. We can well, just start it. We can all just start it at the up. same time on our phone or yeah. whatever. Or our iPad. All righty. So, uh, Luke, do you have uh, the trailer pulled up? <laughs> Is it not on your screen? All right, I'm watching it. Okay. Here we go. Like, pick a man, bring your kit. <laughs> I hope today might be a good day. But Smaug. Hope is a dangerous thing. Does he do Smaug's mm-hmm. voice? You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Guy reminds me of someone. Well, he's a very famous actress. Calling off tomorrow morning's attack. Someone I know. Me. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about Shane it. Conley. That's who it reminds me of. We've got all the minister at New Philadelphia. Yep. If we're not clever about this, I went to no Memphis with him. Ah. How will? If Adele had done the soundtrack to this, maybe it'd be even better. Well, hope for a good day's over. There's only one way to sense. Are you kidding me? Last man standing. 
I'm going to see my That cathedral scene is epic with the way that they did the fire and the yeah. lighting. They actually did that practically with a giant they had they hold the world record for the largest LED lighting rig for that movie because of that scene. So both you guys have seen this? Yeah. It's a fantastic movie. If you don't get there in time, we will lose 1,600 men. Your brother among them. Good luck. Have you seen the behind the scenes where they had the uh, camera on the train tracks filming the mm -hmm. scene? Wouldn't it be amazing just having like an infinite budget to shoot whatever you wanted? Well, it'd be hard as crap, but... Scott, what's cool about this movie is uh, there's only two discernible cuts in the entire movie. So like it's it's you follow these guys from the moment they're given this order all the way to the end. So the movie we just watched, Rotten or Righteous? It's a good movie. Righteous, I guess. Don't watch it in front of your kids. Righteous. Righteous also. Righteous. Three Righteous. I think it's one of my favorite movies ever. It's a good movie. It was a really good, a good movie. movie. I mean, I wouldn't... Probably I wouldn't... Top five. I wouldn't put it up there with... Uh, I think I like 1917 better than this movie. I definitely like Saving Private Ryan better than this movie. Um... I haven't watched Patriot in a long time. It may beat out Patriot. All right. That was Mel Gibson and Patriot. Yeah. He's the main dude. Benjamin Buttons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've reached that time. For Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. Benjamin Buttons. I'm Benjamin Buttons. I'm... Joseph Smith still conscientiously objecting, unless it furthers my cause of spreading Mormonism throughout the world and planting the new Israel in Utah. <laughs> Is that what you're going to call it? New Israel? Yeah. I mean, basically, right? I mean, it's like the capital of like where Jerusalem was the capital of the Jews. Well, it's the capital of the new Jews, Mormons. Mm. I'm Oscar the Grouch. No, you're not. Try that again. Say your name. Like big boy. Scott Judge. Thank you. Now say, yes, I approve the charges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Before we go. See, Luke. I got to go and I got to go. I like to spend every day like it's my last laying in bed and calling for a nurse to bring me more pudding. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Do you think anyone would have joined in in World War II if the Germans hadn't been invading other countries, if they had just put the Jews in concentra concentration camps? Can we stop because... talking about the Jews, please? <laughs>
Well, you know, China has concentration camps right now, but because they're not invading anyone else, everyone's like, eh, let's we'll turn the blind eye. No, I think... It's a good question. To be fair, we wouldn't have joined World War II if Japan didn't bomb Pearl Harbor. Yep. So you're saying we don't care about the Jews? I'm saying that we don't care about the European countries in general, except for England. And even then, England was like, hey, we're getting bombed. Can you help us? And we're like, nah, we kind of <laughs> don't want to. Kind of busy <laughs> over here, you know. We have this ocean separating us from all of that stuff. So we're just going to stay and over then, here and chill with Canada and Mexico for a little bit. And then Japan's like, oh, what's up, guys? And then. <laughs> Do you think God sent the Japanese to bomb us so we would save the world from tyranny? No. Because, you know, no, I don't. America. I don't think you don't? that. Okay. I think we need to take. Luke, I need you to, to take your uh, offensive dial back about three notches. You're I'm talking about history. This isn't offensive. You're talking, you're talking. You know how God, you know, orders the world. Sometimes got to. Yeah. It could be fact. Could have happened that way. Could have, but uh, it didn't. Okay. At a family <laughs> dinner. Because Zach is God. No, I'm just uncomfortable. It's, would it be wrong to like. <laughs> Get into the grape juices at the church in the fridge and have yourself a cup. Everyone, I hope not, because I used to do that all the time. I used, I, I, <laughs> I whenever we do, whenever we had uh, real made homemade leavened bread, unleavened bread, mm-hmm. I, I'd you know go and grab me a, a wafer or two and snack on it. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff's good. In fact, one of my favorite things to do on Sunday nights was take the trays back from uh, up front when nobody, you know. If no one came forward or whatever, because then I just nom all the extra. I don't care. <laughs> that's how um, that's how COVID spread originally. Right, is that people kept eating the communion bread after everybody yeah, touched it? Yeah, bats had communion, and uh, then we all. <laughs> <laughs> hey Scott. Yeah, Zach. You know, I'm really excited for the next all top. I'm really excited for the next autopsy club. How excited no, are no, you, Zach? No, stop. I'm really excited <laughs> for the next autopsy club because it's open mic. Yes. Shut up. <laughs> I'm really excited for the next autopsy club because it's open mic night. <laughs> I don't get it. <sighs> open mic. Oh. Funny, funny. It was that was my favorite joke I've ever heard. Are we using that one? Hey, uh, no. Hey, Luke. What? Do you remember that joke I told you about my spine? No. Uh, it was about a week back. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was the joke? <laughs> You know, I'm 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 terrified of elevators. Are you really? Oh, yeah, but I'm I'm taking I'm starting to take steps to avoid them. <laughs> hey Scott, have you heard that new band, 923 megabytes? No, that doesn't surprise me. They probably haven't had a gig yet. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what? where? Uh, a know-it-all gets its water? No. no. Where? From a well, actually. <laughs> okay, this is it. I feel like this one's it. Hey, Scott, what did the green grape say to the purple grape? Oh, no. Breathe, darn you! Breathe!
<laughs> that reminds Good me of that. Good night, everybody! Trouble when I was Good a life guard. It's time to go! Good night!